Do you use Telegram? Not Telegrams, but Telegram. The social network masquerading as an instant messaging platform had more than 700 million monthly active users as of last summer. And it's become Russia's most politically important online platform gradually over the years and rapidly since the February 2022 invasion of Ukraine. I've talked about it before on this show, asking experts about the communities on Telegram, the network's data security, and the government's attempts to censor and control it. On that last point, government censorship, your first thought is probably of police agencies monitoring Telegram channels and accounts for anti-Kremlin activity and commentary, digging into server data to track and identify users, and I don't know, guys in masks kicking in doors and, and raiding the homes of unsuspecting bloggers. That stuff happens, of course, but the frontier of Telegram censorship isn't quite what you'd expect. A recent investigative report published jointly by Medusa and The Bell takes a close, very long look at Rostec, one of Russia's key state corporations, and its campaign to exert control over the public discourse on Telegram about Rostec's operations and executives. Now, Rostec is responsible for developing, manufacturing, and exporting high-tech products in aviation, mechanical engineering, radio, electronic, medical tech, and a lot, lot more. The corporation comprises more than 800 organizations and has a presence in 60 regions across Russia. This is the Kremlin's arms conglomerate, controlling outfits like the Kalashnikov Concern, Ralvagonzavod, Avtogaz, and many more factories that make the war machines now wreaking havoc in Ukraine. Rostec is as serious as they come, and its longtime CEO, Sergei Chemizov, has been running the show since 2007, when the state corporation was founded. The history between Chemizov and Vladimir Putin goes back to the 1980s, when the two were both Soviet intelligence agents in Dresden. So, why does an enterprise with so much clout bother with bloggers on Telegram? And what does all this say about the information available to Russians in an age without any independent press? That's the subject of this week's podcast. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. This week's show is devoted to a very, very long investigative report we released jointly with The Bell about the arms conglomerate Rostec. Or Rostec. I'm going I'm to troll the R sometimes and sometimes I'm not because it's just inconsistent on my part, I'm afraid. Anyway, this article is about how Rostec or Rostec prosecutes the authors of Telegram channels that post compromising or just unflattering information about the company and its executives, sometimes using police resources and specialized software to de-anonymize channel administrators before launching criminal cases. This episode isn't devoted to the biggest news story in Russia this week, the arrest of American journalist Evan Gershkovich on ridiculous espionage allegations. I'll mention his case nevertheless because it's an opportunity for me to express Medusa's solidarity with Evan against the Kremlin's decision to take another hostage. And it's also worth mentioning because Evan was arrested in Yekaterinburg, where he was apparently planning to interview factory workers at a plant operated by Rostec's Ural Vagonzavod and at another plant run by a subsidiary of Almaz Anti. So, as you listen today to the censorship schemes of Rostec's public relations team, know that Information about Russia's arms companies is considered extremely sensitive in Russia, 
so sensitive that even collecting it is apparently enough to accuse an American reporter of spying for the first time since before the fall of the USSR. Before getting to today's show, I'll take a few seconds to remind listeners that support from Medusa's international audience is more important today than ever, now that the Russian authorities have designated Medusa as an undesirable organization, outlawing our reporting on the grounds that it poses a threat to the foundations of the Russian Federation's constitutional order and national security. In other words, everything we do now, our investigative reports, our newsletters, our posts on social media, even our podcasts, it's all a crime now inside of Russia. Medusa will continue to report events to our readers, millions of whom are still in Russia. We will not submit to this attempted censorship. Now more than ever, your contributions sustain our work, and we need your help also in just putting out the word about our crowdfunding campaign. Okay, so let's get to this week's show. Last October, police arrested three people responsible for administering and writing for Telegram channels focused mainly on high society stories, scoops about which famous bloggers own what penthouses who attends which elite parties, and so on. One of their main channels was called Tushitya Svet, which means put out the light, and it was run by former editor-in-chief of Tatler magazine, Ariane Romanovsky, a reporter named Tamerlan Begayev, and Kirill Shukhanov, the commercial director for journalist and socialite Ksenia Subchak, who's believed to own this entire telegram empire, though she denies that. These three suspects are accused of trying to extort roughly $145,000 from Rostec CEO Sergei Chemizov in exchange for the removal of a story about him attending a fancy birthday party. And this shindig itself was nothing illegal, but think of it from Chemizov's perspective. You're head of an arms conglomerate during a war that isn't going so well for Russia, and bloggers are writing about you partying the night away when you'd rather that everyone thinks you're, I don't know, working tirelessly at your desk every night. In his reports to the authorities, Chemizov also says the folks at Tushitysvet solicited money for temporary suspension on future negative coverage as well. This is apparently a fairly common practice on Telegram, or at least it has been until now. The executive responsible for managing Rostec's Telegram strategy is Special Assignments Director Vasily Bravko, the man at the heart of the joint investigation published by Medusa and the Bell. Married to celebrity propagandist Tina Kandalaki, and known for pioneering Russia's bot farm and hidden advertising industries, Bravko has enjoyed a meteoric rise professionally. I asked Medusa journalist Svetlana Ryder, who co-authored the Rostec Telegram investigation with Irina Pankratova at The Bell, why they focus so much on Bravko. Like, what makes this guy and his story so special? With Vasily Bravko, you can see, you know, he's not, he's not a son of anyone influential. So he built himself and he was very pro-governmental since the beginning, since he was very, very young. So I guess that's why I spent a lot of time working on his sort of profile parts, because a lot of friends of mine, it turns out, they knew him, you know, and they know him, basically know him. And they had a drinks together and all that stuff. So he was like in, in between, uh, between the liberal, you know, parts and right. conservative. But it's how you can build a career. And mainly I think it's because he had some PR agency and they were also a bit dodgy on their work. You know, the people who worked with this agency, Apostol told us. And then they use the same technologies in Telegram. So it's basically, I think the main part why we spend a lot of time on his figure is because it's actually 
you know, a bit of nostalgic. You can see how the PR is working in Russia. I believe that was the main reason. Right. And also, which is very important, he is basically, he wrote himself a lot of complaints about the owner of the anonymous Telegram channels. So he went to the police, he informs that he's in format, this doji PR guy. So he's like the main figure on this fight. Just 20 years ago, Bravko was studying political philosophy at Moscow State University, running a project that attracted high-profile guests to the school for meetings with students. The program put him in touch with a lot of noteworthy people, particularly Commerson correspondent Andrei Kolesnikov, whose work as a biographer for Vladimir Putin made him an invaluable contact for Bravko. Within a few years, the two were working together to promote a magazine, and then two interview series, one on YouTube, one on network TV, drawing increasingly heavy-hitter guests. While he owes his success to all these wonderful connections, not least of which is his marriage to Kondalaki and their many business partnerships, Bravko is fundamentally a self-made man. He's clawed his way up Russia's social and political ladders by carefully managing his public persona and conforming to the prevailing attitudes, whether that meant presenting himself as an enlightened liberal or now a ruthless status, and by networking with unending tenacity. As the head of the Apostle PR agency, Bravko was one of Russia's first media spin doctors to place paid content secretly on Telegram, paying bloggers to run flattering stories about clients and compromising materials about their rivals. While the PR agency operated at a loss, even its secret contracts weren't profitable, the business scored major contracts with Rostec, paving the way for Bravko to become the corporation's communications department head in 2013, then head of IT a year later, then head of long-term strategy, and next as director of special assignments, a vague position that he basically created for himself. And it's from this position that he's led Rostec's campaign to assert itself on Telegram. I asked Svetlana why Telegram is so important to Russians. It's a messaging platform. It's got these channels where major media outlets mingle with anonymous bloggers, and apparently it's where some of the most sensitive, explosive political fights are happening in Russia today. In a space that seems best suited to, I don't know, memes and armchair analysis, we actually find the heart of public life in Russia. Isn't that kind of weird? No, it's not weird now in Russia. And I mean, the thing is, when you have a censorship, and uh, then Telegram is the only source of the information, and then you have all the information, you have channels from opposition politics and you have conservative channels, you have pro-war channels, you have against war channels and it's all uncensored information. That's why. And I mean, if you have freedom of press, then you can choose. And then, yeah. you, and then we think that Telegram is something strange because it's uh, really like not well written and strangely low and blah, blah, blah and all that stuff. And I'm talking about the, this popularity now, right? I'm not talking about the secret Telegram chats or anything like this. I'm just talking about Telegram as the media. So if you, have, if you have the freedom of speech, you know, freedom of press, then Telegram will look very, very strange to you because it's very amateur. But if you don't have the other information, then, of course, you're reading Telegram. You know, I mean, yeah. when the war started, I mean, the thing is, a lot of people, they 
started to join Telegram and you could see it right on your phone because, I mean, you have the contacts, right, on your iPhone or whatever, any phone you have. And it notifies you. And, you know, like three quarters of these contacts are suddenly jumping to Telegram. They're just running to it, except, you know, including my own parents and they're like over 70. Why the f*** do you need it? But, I mean, they need an information, so they're reading Telegram channels. And, I mean, that's the point because that's the information, you know. And they are trying to censor it. I mean, it's a long story of this fight with this Telegram because uh, they tried to block it. It was a huge buzz. They started to discuss it and they had all these tasks and sometimes secret tasks when they tried to slow down the Telegram and they didn't succeed at all. And I don't want to speculate, but it was two versions. The first version is Telegram is so, so strong that they can't block it. And the much more speculative version that Pavel Durov, who's like the owner and the head and the inventor of this uh, beautiful divine machine, just, you know, had a deal with the FSB, but no one would or something like it. So, I mean, Telegram basically started to grow since that moment because they couldn't slow it, they couldn't block it. And the censorship, I think, started that time, basically, even few years before that time so if you don't have the other information then you have only telegram and they just want to have a censorship there as well so mm-hmm. I mean, that's very understandable and i don't know what we will have after telegram basically because i mean only in telegram you for this moment can have these channels you know with yeah. a lot of huge audience sometimes more than the media under bravko's oversight brostek likely has direct control over several major telegram channels. The corporation intimidates extortionist bloggers by working with federal agents to open felony cases against these people, but there's more to this story. Obviously, extortion isn't journalism, but these prosecutions are also just the visible part of a bigger fight over telegram's commanding heights. There are numerous PR agencies now battling for hegemony on what has become perhaps Russia's most important social network. If you're like most people, just a casual reader, you don't see this fight. But it's driving a lot behind the scenes. And litigation and policing that ostensibly enforces reasonable laws against blackmail often serve less legitimate goals at the same time. Is it a good thing that Rostec and its like FSB connections and, you know, it's, it's going about this in not necessarily the nicest way, but if it's essentially able to take down and prosecute extortionists who are operating on Telegram, is that like a good thing? Is it like, oh, good. Well, these guys are these guys are bad actors. Like, yes, maybe Rostec is also not nice, but like, yeah, this yeah. is extortion. So yeah, like, well, I can see, yeah, I can see, I can see the beauty irony in this question. I mean, I can't say, yeah, well, you know, it's got some great. No, huh. I mean, it's a gray zone. This market, I must be honest, because I mean, while we were working on this article, we spoke to a lot of people. And even the head of the advertising agency anonymously told me that even banks, Russian banks, are interested in this sort of uh, dodgy agreements when, you know, we pay you money and you're not writing anything about our bank. And that's not very nice, you know. But the thing is, if you want to make these markets play by the rules. You may, you know, you must establish the rules first. And secondly, you need to do it in civilized way. But if you don't have any rules and it's a gray zone, then you can actually 
play, you can, you can actually achieve two goals, right? You can, and that's what we try to, to write in this article, that from one side, you are cleaning the market, right? That's the first point. Secondly, you're cleaning the market so you can have a profit yourself. And thirdly, you can establish the censorship. I'm 51, right? So I lived in Russia for quite a while, and that's very, very popular scheme for Russian government, you know? We are doing something, so it's like, help us to achieve two goals at the same time, you know? So, so like that. So I would say if they want to clean the market, if they want to establish the rules, if they want to make like real normal ads and not these dodgy sort of agreements and settlements, then they need to, you know, have some experts like public discussions. And can you explain like how did Telegram become a platform where it, it's valuable enough for a business or a bank, or any kind of like enterprise to pay what seems to be fairly large sums of money for like an individual channel to, or a, a network of channels to agree to stop posting negative reporting for like six months or for three, three months or something like this. Like, so when I read about this, sometimes it's like, there's just, there's like an infinity of telegram channels. Why would a business agree to pay money to just like a small part of telegram to have a block on negative coverage. It just seems like just, there's like so much out there. Is it worth money to like pay just some part of Telegram to not write negative things about you? Is that, or like, how, how, do, how do businesses justify? Well, I mean, I'm not a very big specialist in uh, Telegram. That's why I wrote this article with my co-author <laughs> because she's a, she's a genius. And I mean, uh -huh. that's the point. I was talking to the sources mainly. I mean, I learned a lot of new things. I mean, I had a multiple hackers' attacks on my mail, on my Telegram myself while I was writing this article, which was also kind of fabulous. So the thing is, Telegram is very influential in Russia now because we already have a censorship. And when the war started, a lot of, I mean, we already didn't have a lot of, you know, media and all that stuff. So people, what are they reading? They're reading Telegram. And they're reading Telegram channels. It's very popular. I mean, we have a huge, huge market and huge segment of the anonymous Telegram channels. And they're so bloody popular that even the independent media like Medusa is reading it, you know. And we are in some, and the information which they have in these anonymous Telegram channels are sometimes uh, more truthful and quicker than the regular media. Uh, media, sorry, because it's not much of them laughed. We have like a bunch of the official media and they're very, very censored. And we have a couple of the, you know, like business media, like Forbes in Russia. And uh, we have Arbuka, we have Kommersant and Vedemsti, and they're also suffering from censorship. So the thing is that Telegram is very, very influential and they're giving money to the channels who are like influential in their fields, even if they look dodgy. And I mean, that's part which my co-author wrote. But anyway, it's not only Telegram channel, like one channel who is channel channeling the information, right? To one Telegram channel, we have, let's say, 15 other Telegram channels who are like regramming the posts, right? 
So, I mean, that's making the influence even more. So that's the point. That's why it's obvious why they're paying them, right? Because that's what people reading nowadays in Russia, especially, I mean, we had these figures, I don't remember them by heart, but they were very, very impressive that after the, after the war started, the audience of Telegram really boomed. I think it's up to 30%, even 50%. So can you imagine? Russia is rather big, right? And you have like, okay, let's say 40 millions, okay, 30, even 20 millions of people are reading, reading Telegram. So, I mean, Facebook is officially blocked in Russia. Meta, I'm sorry, Meta. So Facebook and Instagram are blocked in Russia. So what do they have? They have WhatsApp. <laughs> and I mean, they have Telegram, but they channels. So that's mm-hmm. the point. That's why they're reading it. Well, I mean, I know that like the, the concept here of like posting negative things about a company like Rostec, I mean, the two possibilities, it seems it's like either on one hand, it's just like anonymous, you know, investigative journalism or, you know, they're just they're, they're digging up facts and they're reporting these unflattering things about Rostec or they're working their hired guns, essentially, you know, it's like Rostec's competitors of some kind, you know, the, the story doesn't specify, but like we can assume that there are, there's infighting among like Russia's bureaucracy and like there's there are groups out there that want to take whatever Rostec's resources are, or, you know, funding or something. Somebody's paying at some point somewhere on Telegram to write something nasty about Rostec or people Rostec that are working is not there. having much of competitors, may I say. They, <laughs> I think they're close to being monopolists now on this, on this field. That's so then, my point. And I'm not specialist in this matter, right. but I mean, that's, that's, yeah. Okay. When I was writing this article, uh, I was watching this uh, series, which everyone watched, The House of Cards, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like this a bit. So, I mean, you, you don't know who's, where is the interest to this and where is the interest to that. What, what we can see, and we can see only facts, we can see that Rostec is paying a really huge role in these, uh, you know, detentions mm-hmm. and court cases and they're filing reports against the telegram channel owners so that's that's what we can see so and who started this campaign i mean we couldn't see any any signs that it was started by competitors i mean it's it's difficult to see really difficult so does that mean that the 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 like the negative content that was appearing about rostec like about from the networks that are identified in this article that wasn't really a genuine threat to rostec and it was basically just Rostec was using this content as an excuse to initiate a crackdown that would allow it to then exert more control over Telegram, that it was never actually, its its resources were never threatened. And so... I mean, I'm a journalist, right? I'd like to speak for the facts. I mean, we, okay. we, couldn't, see the, we couldn't see any facts that it was inspired by competitors. And the facts we see, <laughs> let us, you know, presume that Rostec was very interested in cleaning this field, in cleaning this market. And also we wrote that they are trying to make this program which will help them and help the police to de-anonymize the owner of anonymous telegram channels. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. The hunter system. Yeah, the hunter. I mean, it's, it's uh, basically, I mean, we wrote about it. Yeah, and I mean... And I mean, it was a good news, but the thing is, I'm not sure. I still don't know how the system is working. I mean, I think it's it's like these bots, which we have a lot in Russia, but with with the actual information, so they can 
they have more opportunities to find the owner of the anonymous Telegram channel because they can use the actual database system with the actual numbers and actual data. Mm-hmm. So that's the point. I, I don't know basically how it will look at the end because they're just working on it. But that's also a sign of something to, to me, basically. And there's, I think the story at some point says that Telegram has not commented on these court cases and these and the, and the allegations from, I think it was Alexander Kinstein, or he said something like, anonymity on Telegram is a myth. And Telegram, which presents itself as, you know, secure, they haven't commented on that. But there's a lot of speculation in Russia as to, well, does Telegram cooperate with the FSB? To what degree are they sharing information? Did you have any insights into that while researching this, or that's no? The, the, it's yeah. impossible to have it. I mean, it's, <laughs> the, there are some things which are really you, you would like to know, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, for for this moment, it was impossible. Either we have terrible journalists <laughs> and terrible investigators, mm-hmm. or this thing is uh, impossible to understand. I would right. uh, impossible to draw any conclusions. I mean, impossible to find any facts because they're so hidden. So we don't know, basically. I. It's a, it's a lot of rumors about it, yeah. but but that's the point. I mean, you you don't want to trust the rumors. I mean, right. it's like a strange thing. I mean, a lot of people in in the world they trust the telegram and the signal because they think it's the safest me- messengers, whatever. But you know that uh, in Russia, people who are like in the working in the government or in any other ministries, you know, what messenger they're using as the safest? WhatsApp. They're using WhatsApp. Hmm. They're sure that, that the people can read the Telegram. And I mean, so they're using WhatsApp and they're saying, hmm. and so every time I'm writing to any source in Russian Moscow, who is somewhere, you know, higher, I mean, I know that I need to write to WhatsApp, which is like sort of strange to me because <laughs> I mean, I think Telegram is much safer, but they're not using Telegram because they think the safest is WhatsApp. So, I mean, You never know. Despite security concerns about Telegram, the network's advertising market is growing rapidly in Russia, and promoted content is often published without any indication to readers and paid for illegally in cryptocurrency or even cash. There's actually a booming business for third-party facilitators who work at drop sites to exchange cash payments. And Rostec shows no sign of pulling back its effort to rein in Telegram bloggers and influence their future output. Remember those three bloggers associated with Ksenia Sabchak, who were arrested last year on extortion charges? After briefly fleeing the country, Sabchak returned and met privately with Chemizov to plead for their release from custody. She even signed a repentance letter apologizing for her colleagues' actions. It didn't work. Nobody was freed, and Chemizov has refused to meet with Sabchak again. Apparently, the case is just too important. It's about setting a precedent that will impose the same responsibility and, most importantly, the same censorship pressures that have existed for years already in Russia's traditional news media. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.